This is the Better Than Average Podcast. I'm Matt Wyatt. This is sort of an in-between episode with a short lifespan because the game is tomorrow, but we're going to preview. I will just take a peek at NC State. A few thoughts heading into tomorrow's game. And then, as I told you, we'll get into a Sunday-Wednesday upload schedule after this weekend. So let's take a look at tomorrow's game. Better than average. You play football. Football? Oh, no. Juggernaut of a podcast. Better than average. It's like a radio show that's not on the radio. Coach, it's a great day for you, huh? Yeah, it's better than average, I'll tell you that. <laughs> and here's your host. American hero, man of few words. You're not a liar, are you? Wyatt, I am rolling. It's week two of the season. State, another home game, and... Thank goodness, I think tomorrow night the weather's going to be absolutely gorgeous. If it's anything like it is today, which it's supposed to be, woke up this morning, my home in Tupelo, a high of, well, I shouldn't say high. It's not the high. I woke up this morning and it was 58, 59 degrees outside. A little bit of a shock to the system, but you think, oh boy, it really feels like fall. And it really made me look forward to tomorrow night. This podcast is presented by Mississippi Land Bank. Visit them online. It's mslandbank.com. And what you need to know, and and I hope you will, as state fans, I hope you'll understand that anything in North Mississippi, Highway 82 North, anything in North Mississippi that is land-related, certainly farmers, you know, big-time farmland, they understand that, you know, there's different types of farming, and in a lot of cases, it is big business. You know, it's spreadsheets. It's huge loans. It's They understand all that. It's what they do. And so if that comes up for you, I hope that you'll see them first. They're just the kind of people that you want to be around, you want to spend time with, you want to get to know, work with. Honest, good people, feet on the ground. I can't recommend them highly enough. All right, so tomorrow night, NC State, Mississippi State, in Davis Wade Stadium, Obviously, the anniversary of September the 11th, and that'll be a huge uh, storyline. Uh, and is going into the game, and should be. But it's a matchup that's happened before. Now, I am not one who looks at historical records and things like that, or even games a year ago, and thinks that it has anything to do with this year's game. It's just fun to look at it, remember the history. Some of it I didn't know. But um, the all-time series, the two teams have played each other six times in history. And right now the series is tied three and three because State beat them the last time they played in that uh, Belk Bowl when Dak was a senior at the end of Dak's senior year, at the end of the 2015 season. But uh, the record is, let's see, they played, okay, NC State won in 1930, 14 to nothing. They played again in 31 and NC State won it six to nothing. So a couple of shutouts back to back for NC State in the series back in the 30s. They played again in 1940, and Mississippi State won that one up in Raleigh, 26 to 10. Didn't play again until 63, and I think that's the one that was referenced this week. It was a bowl game. Jack Crystal talked about how how cold it was, and State won that one 16 to 12. And in the last two matchups. They played on January 1st in the Peach Bowl in 95. That was the end of the 94 season, uh, the first day of 1995. And NC State actually won that game 28-24. And then, as I mentioned, the last time they played back in 2015, December 30th, the end of Dak's senior year, Jacoby Brissett, another NFL quarterback, was a quarterback that day 
in the Belk Bowl in Charlotte back in 2015, went on to play in the NFL. But Dak and his team had the better of it, put up 51 points and beat NC State 51-28 in that bowl game. Um, The the bowl game in 95, I was actually there for the game. I had – let's see, that was January 1st, and maybe a week or so earlier, right around Christmas – is when I had actually called the the coach Coach Cheryl and the coaching staff at State and, and committed and decided you know that's where I was going to go and where I was going to sign and so after being in the commitment group we uh, made plans to Dad and I did my dad and I made plans to get a couple of tickets and we went over to Atlanta to go and watch the game and we did and I remember I don't remember a whole lot about the game. Uh, that back then, I remember sitting next to Dad, or and I remember the two running backs. I remember uh, NC State had a really good running back in that ball game. Um, seems like maybe he was a kid that wound up playing some NFL football, and I don't remember his name honestly. And I remember Kiefer McGee from Mississippi State had some big plays in that ball game. Of course, you that was the the '94 team for State that had Michael Davis and Kevin Bowie. Um, but I remember Kiefer McGee having some big plays in that ball game. The other thing, though, I remember about it is Dad and I got separated on that train system. What do they call that? The MARTA, whatever it is there in Atlanta, the train system. I've, you know, wherever we wound up parking, we had to, you know, get on that train, and take it over to the Georgia Dome, and and that kind of thing. I I, I don't know what the reason was. Just somewhere. We we maybe were staying. Maybe that's what it was. Is we were staying at a hotel or something, and so from there we were just going to take this train. I just remember we had a funny moment because we got separated. You know, I'm this 18 year old kid from Prattville, Alabama, and we were together as a big group of people on one stop on this train system. State fans, NC State fans, big group of people, kind of a mosh of people. And at one point there was a stop, and the doors open up. And I'm staying on, and Dad kind of got pushed out, a group of people, and he couldn't get back on there until the uh, door shut. <laughs> so he's outside the train looking at me through the window. Train starts pulling off, and we just waved at each other, and there we go. Now, And thankfully, he had given me my ticket. I had it, and I knew he had his, and he knew I had mine. And so he just went on to the stadium, you know, and again, that's before cell phones. Nobody had phones they didn't know where to communicate uh, you know so we just that was it see you later dad waved at him goodbye and he kind of smiled and i thought well now it's my responsibility to find the stadium get there get in find my seat and i hope dad's sitting there and that's what happened i walked in and there he was <laughs> and he kind of giggled he said i knew you'd make it um so there was a moment of trepidation but we just handled it right I do remember that. Well, anyway, um, oh, and, and in the game that Dak put up 51 and won the last time they played up in Charlotte back in 2015, you know, remember the weather. It was just a monsoon on December the 30th. That morning, we get up at the team hotel downtown Charlotte to go get on the bus. Those of us who were getting on the bus to go to the stadium early, that included trainers, managers, radio crew, all these different and, – and we were sprinting around the corner – for about a block from the hotel to where the buses were parked, and it was we were completely soaked, every one of us, by the time we got on that bus. 
it was still raining that way when we got to the stadium, and it just rained that way all day leading up to the game. And and I don't remember if it rained that way during the game. I just remember it being pretty wet, sloppy conditions. And, uh, you know, the amazing Dak Prescott, just like he did earlier that year against Missouri in those same type of conditions up there at Missouri. And he just threw the ball all over the field. Like, it just didn't matter. He was really incredible. And it's interesting you have that memory after watching him last night against uh, Tom Brady and the Buccaneers in a game where Buccaneers are really a much better team overall. Um, they've got a, Buccaneers have a much better defensive front than the Cowboys have. But the Cowboys played a really good, hard-nosed, competitive game. But frankly, I believe there's about two or three quarterbacks in the entire NFL who would have given the Cowboys a chance to win that game, and Dak Prescott's one of them. Uh, whether anybody agrees with that or not, I happen to know I'm right. So, all right, uh, let's look at tomorrow. That's the the history on the thing. You're more interested in tomorrow's game, I'm sure. You know, NC State, 45 nothing win in their first one over South Florida. I watched it. I didn't sit down and watch every single play live, but I, I did sit down and watch the first half live and then most of the third quarter. And I think I mentioned that to you in the previous episode of the podcast some of the things I noticed with them, and that is that quarterback is very capable. You know, he's a pretty decent athlete coming off that broken leg injury last year that caused – he was a starter and then missed, what, seven or eight games, broken leg, recovers, comes back. And in that first game for them last Thursday against South Florida, uh, he did a nice job. You know, he hit that wheel route. Great play design, good call at the right time against man-to-man. Hits a wheel route for a touchdown early, got him going. He had some other good throws in the game, but he had some misses also in the game. He missed some open guys at times. So he was a little inconsistent, but you could tell he operates well. He knows the offense. He's a good athlete, so he moves around pretty well with his feet. He um, he does have a live arm. Ball jumps out pretty good, so he's capable of throwing deep ball stuff if you let him go. I will say, though, his interception that he threw in the game was a really bad underthrow. It was one of those that was kind of head-scratcher, honestly. You know, he's got plenty of arm, as do most of the guys who play at this level. And they had uh, a deep ball for a touchdown, a receiver behind the DB, kind of a post route, so it wasn't straight vertical. But he, he underthrew it very badly. Like, you know, one of those where you go, uh, it wasn't just a slight underthrow, it was one where did he think the guy was going to break it flat? Did he not really see him? You know, what was how could it be that bad of an did he get his arm hit? You know, one of those things. But it's a little curious as to how you underthrow one so poorly. But that that was a low moment. But he ran the offense well, and he didn't have to do much to win the game for him because they ran the ball so well um, against South Florida, who was very overmatched. South Florida, not a very good football team. They were pretty small on defense. I will say, too, offensively, South Florida in the early parts of the game, at least three times in the first couple of quarters, had chances for huge plays, and the quarterback for South Florida just missed it. NC State gave South Florida some man-to-man coverage starting at the beginning of the game in different spots, and they had a few calls. There were three different throws kind of at three different levels. There was a crossing route once, a little play-action vertical to a tight end, another one with a deep ball that they got – South Florida got guys wide open behind the NC State defense, and the quarterback for South Florida just couldn't put the ball on them. Had he done that, it really would have changed the complexion of that game early on, and they got them open. So 
I guarantee you Mississippi State's coaching staff, you know, watches that film and goes, you know, hey, they're good, they're older, they're experienced, but this team they played here had opportunities. If they give us a man, we're going to get some opportunities. And that's a question for me in the game is whether or not NC State will be confident enough in their athletes on defense to give State a little more man-to-man looks to either try and bring pressure or change it up and and then if they do it, how will State react to it? I'm not confident they will. I mean, NC State, frankly, may watch it and and have enough confidence in their, you know, three, four, and occasionally five man rush to stay back like these other defenses have and play zone and keep you in front and force you to execute and all that kind of stuff. I, they may do it. Um, I don't really know what we'll see, you know, just from a philosophy standpoint on their side of the ball, but I'm interested to see that. You know, kind of for Mississippi State's sake, I kind of hope that NC State gives them a little pressure and a little man-to-man every now and then because, number one, that will lead to some bigger plays down the field, some runaways, because State will hit them if they try it. But two, I think State needs to see it because when LSU comes in there at the end of the month, regardless of the records and what we see between now and then, teams like that are going to do some of it. They are going to give you some man-to-man and come after you and show you a little more blitz, and you need to see it some in live games. I hope these teams, before you get into conference play, actually give you that opportunity. Not that you aren't seeing it in practice. You are, but it's different in a game. So game experience anyway. So, uh, you know, that's kind of my my hope in that. The running backs, you know, very good, very capable. They're not the best you're going to see all year long. But they're very good, very capable. And I think kind of what makes that – well, there's no doubt what makes that offense go for NC State is their offensive line. It's a very veteran, experienced group. I've talked about offensive line on this podcast with y'all a good bit. You know, we talked about experience versus inexperience. I've compared numbers, you know, total starts. And there's lots of different ways to look at it. For this matchup, I think the way to look at experience on offensive line and the differences would be looking at starts at the positions they are playing and starting at. So it's one thing to say, you know, LaQuinston Sharp has started X amount of games in his career for Mississippi State. But it's another thing to say, well, LaQuinston Sharp has started one game at center in his career, right? Because he's playing center. So I looked at that this week, and NC State has a big advantage. Um, it's a big difference. Maybe even the advantage is not the way to, the word to use because, you know, those two units aren't on the same on the field at the same time and all that. I would just say there is a massive difference in that kind of experience. Let me give you those numbers. Uh, NC State's offensive line at the positions they are playing, have 63 starts coming into this weekend under their belt. Mississippi State has 15. Okay, so that's the two offensive lines. Again, we're talking about number of starts at the positions they're playing now. State combined five guys with 15 starts at the position that they're playing now, and 11 of those are Charles Cross at tackle. That just puts it into perspective for you. Uh, A lot of stuff they're seeing and doing is for the first time, especially those 
um, tackles that have moved into guard. Okay, so Johnson, we'll see if he starts. They say he's available after the malicious mischief thing this week. So Dollarville has been one of your starters. We'll see if he starts. Don't know if he will. And then, but he is available. And then Cam Jones, another tackle who's playing guard for you. So see, like last week, that's another thing. Last week for Mississippi State, four out of the five offensive linemen who started are tackles. You only have one career interior offensive lineman on your starting five last week, and that's your center sharp. And and most of his experience have been at guard. So a lot of new going on. Well, for NC State, it's really totally the opposite. You know, they've they've got career starts at the positions they're playing for just about everybody up there, multiples. Let me give you another example. Their center, the center for NC State, Grant Gibson, has started 25 games in his career at center. Okay, so he started himself more games at his position than the entire Mississippi State offensive line has at their position. So anyway, I'm pointing that out because that's the strength of their offense, and it may even be the strength of their team, quite honestly. Um, guys like Gibson and that that offensive line, just veteran they just have been through all the ropes, have seen everything. It's a big reason they feel like they've got something to build around with a quarterback who can throw it, who was a record setter in high school and all that kind of stuff. And they finally have him healthy. So, you know, just kind of pointing that out. You know, I was looking too at seniority and upperclassmen. There's really not a huge difference between the two. And and when you look in the two deep, there actually there actually may be a slight advantage or you know difference in favor of Mississippi State in terms of some veteran juniors and seniors playing in your two deep versus NC State at least that I could count them up now the 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 quirk in that is NC State has more starters listed that are seniors you know seniors and grad students, grad transfer guys. They they have more of those kind in their starters. Ten of their twenty two are seniors or grad guys. Okay. So they're they got a little more veteran in their starters. Um state, they don't have as many seniors and, and grad transfers guys in their starters. They've only got seven total. As I said, NC State's got ten. But when you start looking at two deep which includes juniors, State's actually got more upperclassmen in their two deep than NC State does. So you pair that with experience on their offensive line versus yours, and I think you know the experience part of it is sort of a – it balances out, I think. I don't know that either school has some huge advantage. And then when you look at their offensive line and State getting guys back on the defensive front, uh, State should be able to play with them. You know, and and state will play better. And I think it's been a good week of practice. It's been a motivated week of practice. Coaches who at state probably feel a little pressure about they've got to play a more a better full four quarters of a ball game this week than they did last week. So, you know, those are some of the things that you point out here. Defensively, they run the same scheme personnel wise. They're a a nickel. Their base package is nickel on defense. They have five DBs. And three guys that are considered defensive linemen. And this week, Mike Leach was asked, "Hey, does that help when you go play a team that does the same thing your defense does? So your offense has seen it a lot." And he's like, "Well, yeah, you know, 
I was thinking about that. You know, surely it helps. We've seen it. We're a little more familiar how it looks. He goes the the offset on that is basically what he said. Is that you know their offense sees it every day in practice too, and that's what we do. You know, so it's like it's it's kind of a not sure if it provides an advantage either way. But when you're looking at state's offense, you you play something that you're a little more familiar because you see it every day in practice when you've seen it in every scrimmage. That three three five look well, maybe so. Maybe it helps you to to read it and know where the ball should go. But I just think the biggest thing for Mississippi State is if you don't have a rash of penalties, you don't have a hundred yards in penalties. You know, a bunch of holding calls and stuff like that. Receivers jumping off sides. You don't turn it over four times. Then you got a great chance to stay in this ball game. They are going to be pretty balanced on offense and capable of being pretty balanced on offense. In other words, so Brule and those guys, I think State's linebackers are going to have a, a pretty tough challenge this week because there'll be a lot of guessing going on. You know, everything's going to look like run. A lot of their passes that they throw are going to look like run. They'll have some RPO stuff built in, but they'll play action because they plan on running the ball, and they will run it. You know, a lot of their play action stuff will involve blocking that pulls a guard and makes it look just like a run play. And if you're not careful, you're a linebacker, you get sucked in there and uh, because you want to play the run so eagerly and then somebody's open behind you. So, yeah, it's it's going to be a little bit of a different challenge this week. But physically, I just think it's a game where the two teams probably go toe-to-toe with each other. Um, I don't think – I don't know. We'll see tomorrow night. I just don't think either one totally out-athletes the other. And frankly, that's what NC State did to USF, to South Florida. They just out-athleted them, you know. It was even even in some ways sort of a slow start for NC State in that game. They still go off and win it 45 to nothing. So, um, yeah. All right, so before I get through here, I'm going to look – posted and invited you to ask me some questions if you had any you could hit me with them and I would try to get to some of those I didn't give you just a whole ton of uh, um, time I didn't give you a ton of time to, uh, uh, forewarning in order to get those questions in there I just posted a little bit ago and said hey this morning I'm sitting down recording a podcast feel free to give me your questions and so that's probably good because you know if we had 50 or so questions on Facebook, and then 50 or so on uh, Twitter, I wouldn't be able to get to all of them anyway. Okay, so I'll get to the few questions that we have now and just see where we go from here. All right, first up, Gil had the question, what's the pulse of the fan base if State wins, if State loses, are we losing faith in Mike Leach? Well, and Gil, look, everybody's got to form their own opinion. Um, You don't have to listen to me. You don't have to believe me. You don't have to do what I say. You don't have to think the way I think. That's the beauty of life in America, I guess. But uh, I would. you want my opinion, I'm going to give it to you. So here it is. Um, if, if this is a game that swings you greatly one way or the other in terms of your pulse as a fan of this team, then it may be time to uh, step back, sort of take inventory of your life a little bit. (laughs) Now, it's a fair question, all right? You say, what's the pulse of the fan base if State wins? 
Well, based on what I've seen recently, this is what I know. If State wins, it'll be an overreaction one way, and if State loses, it'll be an overreaction the other way by a lot of people. Because the reality is this. It's a really good football team coming in there. Really good Power 5 team. They're putting guys in the NFL pretty much every year. Dave Doran's been there for eight, nine years now. Solid program. They recruit well. Nice-sized fan base with a lot of support. Healthy quarterback. Veteran team. Very experienced offensive line. Physical. They, they're solid, man. They've got it built. They're eight, nine years into building that thing. They, and, and for State, you don't. You're just getting started. I don't know, Gil, if a lot of our fan base realizes that this is – they hit a little bit of a reset, okay? When you bring in – when you've been a program that for over a decade – for 12 to 13 years, you go from 09, Dan Mullen hired, he coaches for nine seasons, and then you bring in Moorhead, who coaches two seasons. So you're over a decade of solid football, totally built around running it, not recruiting receivers, no receivers in the NFL, one quarterback in the NFL, right? Your linemen that have gone to the NFL, what? They're road graders. They're not pass blockers, you know? I mean, it's like everything you did for over a decade is all about running the ball. And you make a quick change at coach and bring in Mike Leach. We're going to do the air raid. Well, I mean, well, how long do you think it takes? Really? Like what? Really? Seriously? There is no flip of a switch. It will take time to recruit to it, to in to get guys experienced in it. You don't have anybody on your offense experienced in the offense. None. And you're playing a team, for instance, who everybody on their offense is experienced in the offense. <laughs> They've run it since the day they got there. And it's so it's just totally two different situations. And I just don't I don't like the idea that we have a portion of our fan base gill who's really spoiled and doesn't have a grip on reality here, okay? Because the reality is this is all new. You're sort of rebuilding this thing, and you're sort of a COVID year and a game into it. Like, what do we expect at this point? So you're looking for positives. You're looking for wins. You're yelling and screaming and hoping for wins. But if you win it, does it mean you're going to go off and win the rest of them? No. You can play terrible next week. This is still new. If you lose it, does it mean that, oh, it's just not going to work? No, it doesn't mean that at all. And the idea at this point of anyone losing faith in Mike Leach, are you kidding me? That's my reaction, Gil. Terry, yeah, he responded. He said, win or lose, not losing faith in Leach. At least I, for one, am not. Okay, let's see. Mark had a question. He said, also, uh, he said, I haven't heard anything at all about NC State's passing attack, and it has been all about the stud running backs. And that's just because, Mark, uh, to your comment, that's because they ran the ball last week uh, primarily. They were able to. And if you're that type of – it's a spread type offense, very similar to what Dan Mullen ran when he was here coaching. uh, And – very similar to other, you know, you got that offensive line with two running backs. You're going to build it around a run game and play action off that, especially with an injured quarterback coming back. They're not an air raid. They are a zone, spread zone offense. So, you know, their passing attack is get 
singled up one-on-ones when get you out of position with the run game and hit the big play. And that's kind of what they did. They ran it, ran it, ran it, looked for the big play. And they hit it a few times. Tony said, can you hold them to 150 total yards rushing? And you believe if you do that, you'll win. Well, yeah, I mean, can you? Yes. Look, you talk about what you're capable of. If you can go in there last year to Georgia and hold them to eight yards, you can hold NC State to 150. It's just a matter of do you do it or not. The first question I got was from Hunter. He said, should I be worried about tomorrow's game? Well, no, you shouldn't worry about it. Hunter, win or lose, it ain't no skin off your back. (laughs) You wake up the next day, fine. You won't have a bruise. Nothing, unless you fall out of your seat. No, but listen, Hunter, well, I get what you're saying. You, you you, mean, should you, you know, is State going to win or lose? I know what you're getting at. I'm just having fun there. But, uh, yeah, look, it's absolutely a game where I would think that NC State should feel like they have an advantage because of their experience and where they are. Any team that is sitting there saying that this may be the year they're going to challenge Clemson in their division of the ACC and they just won 45 to nothing. You don't care who you play. You beat somebody 45 to nothing. That's a complete win. You know, you go, well, the team that plays terrible. Well, how bad you want to beat them? 55 to nothing? 65 to nothing? What's it take? 45 to nothing, a dominant win? Well, it should have been. It means they played really well. They didn't make a bunch of mistakes. They did what they were supposed to do. So I would think NC State's got an advantage. I just know that State will play better. And if they hit a few plays and and put a more four-quarter solid effort in, the state's got a chance to stay in there and win it too. Walking Bulldog question said, what does NC State try to take advantage of after what they saw in week one from MSU? Same for MSU. Well, I would think one thing they'll try to take advantage of is, is inexperienced offensive line and pass rush. They'll throw – some different looks at State's offensive line, some different stunts that they didn't see. They saw a bunch of linebacker twists last week. We'll see some different stuff to try to foul up Mississippi State's pass pro because the M.O. right now is if you can do that, number one, you'll get stops and hit the QB, but you also create some turnovers. And so that's one thing. They're going to watch the film. They're going to have some stuff dialed up to confuse your pass protection even more. You know, for State, you know, I think State looks at it and is looking for a way to get certain matchups. I think I think in some ways State's going to like their matchups of their receivers against a couple of their guys in the secondary. And that's why I started today by saying I'm just curious to see if they're going to give you some one-on-one man-to-man stuff because if they do, State will hit some plays. Mike asked, do you think the game plan for last week's game on offense and defense was to stay vanilla, causing them to look bland. I don't, Mike. I don't think it was a vanilla plan either way. You know, State doesn't blitz just a ton anyway on defense. I mean, every now and then they bring five, right, because you got three down and you may bring two linebackers. You bring four some. You're trying to inside blitz with Brulee because he's good at squeezing through their impression of quarterback, but they don't do just a ton of zero blitz, which is just all out coming after you. Anyway, and offensively, the playbook's not huge. That's one of the things about the air raid is playbook's not huge. The playbook is something that adjusts to what any defense is doing, and just that way they can never be right. And you're supposed to out-execute them. So, no, I, I don't think so. 
Big D Tedford said, is Mike Leach going to continue giving Marks 10-plus carries a game? You know, Big D, yeah, he will. And I will tell you again, a lot of what run plays, a lot of the run plays that happen are not always called from the sideline. A lot of the run plays that happen are often called or checked to on the field by the quarterback when a defense gives you a certain look. One of the things that happened in last week's game against La Tech, La Tech started doing some stuff on defense where they didn't line up. They were just standing around. If, if you go back and watch, the defensive front at times wouldn't get down in their stance and sort of show you where they just kind of mill around, hang around, hang out, stand up, kind of like the old Jolie Dunn deal. And it was confusing the pass protection a few times. Made it They weren't doing a good job of picking up who they were supposed to pick up because they didn't see where they lined up. And Will, late in the game, started adjusting, and he, a few times, saw them standing up, not getting their stance, and so he discreetly checked to a run play and just handed it off right at them, and you made yards. And it hurt them because they weren't ready. They were standing up. And after he did that, they stopped doing it. So keep in mind, those things are happening during the course of a game, too, which lead to handoffs. And uh, let's see. Andrew said, do people not realize that Mike Leach is the de facto O-line coach? Mason Miller isn't going anywhere. Yeah, nor should he. You know, those two guys have coached together for a while. Uh, Miller was with him at Washington State, did an excellent job, that group at Washington State. And... Neither of those guys, from an offensive line standpoint, Leach or Miller, um, somewhere in the move, the U-Haul trip from Pullman to Startville, became bad coaches. That's what I would say about it. It's a process. And I think that's something everybody's got to remember. All right. I really do. Okay, we got one more here. And this is from John. John says, what does the offensive line have to do to correct their mistakes from last week? And do you think it's possible to do that before Saturday's game? Well, John, I would tell you that you have to – the answer to your question is yes, okay, but understand nothing in football is static, okay? And a lot of times the way we talk about stuff, it sounds like we're saying, okay, last Saturday this particular thing happened. This Saturday, it's going to happen again the same way. And all we have to do is make a slight correction from last Saturday to this Saturday, and we got it. <laughs> okay, it's it's never static. It's never that simple. It's like going, well, last week, Louisiana Tech ran a lot of twists with their linebackers. They'd line up behind the lineman. The lineman would shoot inside. Linebacker come around to the outside, and we didn't hand it off and work with each other and got crossed up on our pass protection and it caused some problems. They did that last week. And this week, we're going to see that again a lot from this opponent and we've worked on it all week and so now we've got it totally corrected. See, that's a that's what I'm saying by static. That would be the a static way to look at it. Well, but in reality, here's the thing the team you're playing this week has different players. Last week, they might have had a linebacker who's better 
at coming around the edge at, on a twist, a little faster, a little harder to get to. This week, they may have more of a run stopper. It's a little not as fast off the edge. It's easier to pick up. Yes, you've worked on it. If you see it, kind of like in the fourth quarter of Saturday's game, those same twists that were confusing them early in the game, it's just, you know, they did a little better job picking it up in the fourth quarter, kept him clean, the quarterback goes 10 for 10. And NC State watches it, watches the film, and goes, you know, we're going, we've got these things, these calls, and we're going to do it some. But, you know, what they didn't see last week was this particular stunt or this particular alignment. Let's throw some other things at them. And players aren't the same either. So I would just say I would I would caution any fan to be a little careful about thinking, okay, the coach said we got to clean this up. So they're going to go to practice this week. They're going to clean up what they did last week, and they'll never make that mistake again. <laughs> we have to be a little careful uh, thinking about things that way in football, man. Each play is like a, has like a life of its own. You know, sometimes like you can sit here and block a defensive end the entire game, right? And then one play, like he gets his toe stepped on, it's hurting, and he's mad. He's a raging bull for about 35 seconds, and for the next two plays, you can't block him. You know, it's just there's all these different variables that sometimes we it gets lost in our conversation because we're so concerned and we want answers and we want our team to play better. And, man, you just don't know play to play, week to week. So correct their mistakes. I would tell you, in reality, State's offensive line last week started to adjust and do some things better as the game went on. I just mentioned that. Go watch the game. You'll see what I'm talking about. The fourth quarter, they were much better in pass pro against some of the same things that were giving them trouble earlier in the game. Part of that is, too, defense starts wearing out later in the game. Part of that is, too, as you run – you know, a bunch of plays in a row in a fourth quarter, and some of those are screens where they're quick throws and they can't get home, that wears them out too. As they wear out, they become easier to block. As they become easier to block, we complete more balls, and it just snowballs on them, right? So not to talk you in circles on this thing, but correct mistakes from last week, they're always correcting mistakes. It, it's not a week-to-week thing, man. It's just like a constant working on stuff. And then you go, well, do you think it's possible to work to correct things before Saturday's game? Sure. But I guarantee you, John, I guarantee you, NC State's going to throw some things, alignment, some stunts, and moves on the defensive front. They're going to throw it at our offensive line that they didn't even see last week. Why would they? It would make no sense for a team to look at the film and go, hey, they won last week in a comeback, but they had a little trouble. Let's go in there next week and do the exact same stuff they already saw for four quarters last week. I mean, it makes no sense, right? So we go, well, correct from week to week. Well, they might not even see the same looks they saw from one week to the other. I hope that sheds a little light on the 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 fluidity of the situation and game planning for stuff week to week in college football. Everybody in the country, John, is trying to get to the point where they got guys up front coached and experienced to a point where it doesn't matter what they see, they know what to do. That's why experience is such a big deal. And unfortunately, it's something you simply cannot speed up. All right, thanks for listening to the Better Than Average podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Like I said, it's sort of a 
in between episode here as it's coming out for you on a Friday morning. We got a game tomorrow, and then starting after tomorrow's game uh, and next week, I'll jump into a Sunday Wednesday schedule because I think that's going to work a lot better. Let me know what you think. Hit me up. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks to Mississippi Land Bank for supporting this podcast, and I'll see you all on the next one.